Welcome to Decoding Careers, a podcast to help software engineers transition into a leadership role. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Decoding Careers. As the listeners, you're probably aware, we've we've had some great leaders on the show so far to provide their perspective and to sort of share their journey of you know how they've transitioned from an engineer to a leader. And today, you know, I'm really, really glad to introduce my next guest onto the show. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I think we went for a coffee probably about four weeks ago now. And yeah, another really solid referral from, so a big shout out again to Ricky McAllister. Uh, he's keeping me busy. Uh, so if you're listening, Ricky, hello, I hope you're well. Um, but yeah, look, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest for today's episode, Chris Wu. So for those of you who don't know, Chris is a senior engineering manager at Playco. He's got more than 10 years experience and shines in the realm of remote work, leveraging his strength in providing engineers with reassurance and guidance. Now, Chris is known for empowering engineering talent to reach their full potential cultivating their growth into confident leaders in the field. So a really, really strong leader we've got on the show today. Now, where Chris is currently working, um, for those that you don't know, it's a business called Playco. And Playco is the world's first instant gaming company focused on building games that people can play together without any additional app downloads. So they partner closely with platforms like Facebook, Line and more to build the best games that billions of people can play together. So far, they've already connected more than 100 million people together through play, which is quite an astonishing number. But the work that they're doing to transform the future of gaming is just just the beginning. So absolutely thrilled to have him on our show to share his insights and expertise with, with us. First podcast in the studio as well. So yeah, welcome, Chris. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. So, Chris, the listeners and probably yourself, if you've listened to a few of the episodes, you know how we normally start the show. And I think what we always like to do is take us back to the very beginning to when you wrote your your first line of code. Yeah, I think when I wrote my first line of code, it must be when I was in uni. That's when every computer science majored students got introduced to programming for the first time. I think the first task you would do is normally just be writing code to utilize an algorithm that you give different input and expect like different output. So, and then you found normally you got to be drawing, sketching on the paper to find the result is so quick by codifying it. And then that's probably, you know, I can think of that's when I wrote my first line of code. Yeah, no, interesting. And maybe talk to us a bit about why you got into software engineering, because everyone's normally got different stories behind that, but, but why? Yeah, I think it's quite natural for me, because my generation, kind of all of us have grown up with the internet bubble, right? So I think when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, and the computer at my age was not a thing that every family has. There is a computer room. You go in there, you play games that you, you know, you play in DOS system and all that. And then with the growth of the technology and the spread of, you know, how popular 
computer becomes, every household would have their own computer. And I'm a big gamer since I grew up as well. Like you know, computer games, video games are always my favorite. And it's natural for me to then choose a major in University of Computer Science. And not to mention that、um, after I actually came to Australia, I also continued that major in my master degree study as well. And that kind of is a no-brainer for me to become a software engineer after I graduate. That's how I got started. Yeah. Okay. So obviously, you went to university, did your masters. Now, what about your first sort of job in in engineering? And for like from a commercial setting, maybe talk to us a bit more about that and and sort of how you, how you got the job as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think that was quite interesting.、Um, there was one bit. I think thinking back of my uni studies, I think what I personally lacking was. Commercial and practical coding experience. So most of my major in the uni was very academic. It's like solving an algorithm or like filtering something or mimic a mathematical problems. Nothing that will apply to your commercial works. I think what really makes me understand this is after I get my first job and start working with engineers, I found, oh, these are the commercial engineering. Compared to academic engineering,、um, so my first job was actually a QA engineer, a junior QA engineer, and I got my first job through、um, you know probably two stage of interview. But at the time, the hiring manager affected me a lot in a way that he's lo- really looking at someone's attitude as a junior. He's looking for someone's fresh out of uni and have the can learn and can do attitude. I think you know that's probably how I land the first job, and then after doing my first job, not long. Probably four or five months after doing QA job, I start finding engineering is more interesting. Like developing things are more interesting. I want to get creative. I want to be like the guys that's, you know, making impact to customers. So I changed and start learning, and then just told my manager at the time, I want to be a, a developer instead. And then you know I got some、uh, little tasks slowing,、uh, divided to me, and later on I became a developer. So that's a really good point, and I think. Especially if you're coming straight out of university, a lot of it's a challenging market, especially at the moment, to be finding a role as, as a software engineer. Never mind as a, as a fresh grad. But it's interesting there that you you mentioned. You know, you started as a QA. That doesn't mean you're always going to be a QA. But that way, you can get your foot in the door. You can demonstrate your attitude. You can do attitude, and then you can look at transitioning into you know a software engineering role if that's what you wanted to do. So, do you think that's a Probably a good angle for grads to look at. I think it absolutely is. I think you gotta be, you gotta know yourself to the degree where, you know, when you go to interview for a certain job, you look at the JD, you know what's applied, what might not be applied to you, or you know your skill set might be there, or for some other job titles that you might not possess that skill set. But in the end, I think a junior position or even intern and graduate position. It's all about getting that role and start learning, because you don't know anything about, and you probably don't know anything about engineering as a whole yet. And every element matters. Maybe some developers started as engineer. They found, say, SRE is more interested. They're passionate about making sure everything is reliable. Maybe they found like data analysis is is more exciting to them. So there are a lot of unknowns to you. I think definitely. Start your career as soon as possible, where you think you can fit the team, and then explore from there. Yeah, perfect. Okay, now in terms of your career, then how, how much impact 
did supervisors have on your journey? By a lot. I think I'm fortunate to have a few mentors in the past that impacted me actually in their different ways. For example, on the positive side, my first tech lead was a very, very talented, super hands-on leader. And he basically works super hard and then he, he believes super hard work always pays off. So he's always the last one that leaves the office. That's my first job. So as I said, like I had that can-do attitude. And then now I look at my leader like he's working so hard. Stu, at his level, what I can do is I just try to do, if not more, but as much hard work as he do. And I think that pays off. Though, so I think, you know, I pass my probation really easily. And I get to learn to change from Q, uh, convert from a QA to a developer really quickly. And I think that's a quote, like, I believe to this day. Hard work always pays off. Just like, you know, how I influenced my engineers in the past is um, when you're a junior or mid-level, nowadays you already know all the career letters. You already know your next um, role might be senior, might be staff. You know, if you want to go to a management role, you, you already know that, right? So that's all open information. So... The amount of time to achieve that is probably fixed. And, you know, we are not quite different from each other. So it's just mean, like, if you put more effort, you're going to go there faster, right? So time is the only factor there. If you work harder than others, you learn more. And if you learn more, then you get to that level uh, quicker or earlier than the others. So that's definitely um, some impact that influenced my whole career. And on the other hand, like, you know, I've also had leaders that might have done something that the team or myself not completely agree to, or may- maybe, you know, affecting the morale, or, you know, during time we discussed that might not be a good leadership flex, that impacted me into, like, I would not do that when I become a leader. Yeah, okay. And in terms of working hard, obviously working hard's critical for any career that you're in, um, because things just don't fall in your lap. In terms of working smart, how would you recommend engineers can do that? Because I think what people need to realise as well is, you know, you can come into the office at 7am and you can leave at 7pm, but if the output isn't there, even though you've worked hard and you've been banging your head against the wall, Mm. it's not as valuable as, you know, working smart and getting things done much quicker. What sort of guidance or tips can you give in terms of trying to always focus on sort of working smart as well. I think as a career-focused leader, like I always always kind of promoting a way, working hard doesn't mean working repetitively. If you're working hard just by like changing some copies every day, like you just making some entries every day, that you can still work really hard and then work 12 hours a day to, to do more than they do. I think engineering, it's about how much you learn during working hard, right? So you want to make sure you achieve the output that your role is expecting you to, to perform, then my meaning of working hard is after that, you can go to learn new things. You can go to learn things that your senior is doing. You can try to grab their task and then try to give it a step. So that's what I mean by working hard. Definitely not as repetitive as it sounds, So, but as much as you can learn from a, a company or a team. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Now... What advice would you give to young programmers that are looking to find a coach or a mentor? Right. I think nowadays there are so many resources across the internet. 
I think you can basically use Udemy. I think Udemy is has been my probably best go-to guide. That whenever I tell to uh, junior developers, just find some Udemy course that benefit me when I was a programmer, that they can still find relevant. Just go through those Udemy courses. YouTube has a lot of good videos, and Twitter has a lot of famous programmers that you can follow. And also, you can come to this podcast and then just jump in on decoding careers, right? <laughs> and then the one thing I think what will really surprise me is um, you get your LinkedIn inbox are filled with probably advertisement and recruiters messages, but you barely see any junior or like in an early career stage person that shoot a message to you, say, hey, can I get some advice to you? Mm. I think this is something that you can explore, that people can start using it. You know, maybe five out of 10 people wouldn't respond. Probably like four or three people would respond and organize a meeting and give you some hints. You never know. But my experience, I haven't got anyone that's reached out to me. I haven't heard anyone else that's heard someone that reaching out to him to get advice. So I think maybe this is a good channel. Mm. And I think on that as well, say for instance, you're a junior engineer and you're looking for a job and you reach out to an engineering leader to ask for help and support in terms of looking for a, a mentor or a coach, then maybe that is a good spin as well in terms of getting your next role because it shows you've got ambition. It shows that, you know, you're interested in learning more and, you know, 80% of the time there might not be a role for you, but you're constantly building your network you're constantly sort of putting yourself out there and on the back of it, you're getting a lot of great advice. And I think what a lot of people don't realise is with leaders as well is they're actually happy to help. You know, look why you're on the show today. You're busy. A lot of the engineering leaders that I speak to are busy, but they're coming on here to give back to the community. So I think it's a bit of a perception where, oh, I can't ask him or I can't ask her or What's she going to say or what's he going to say? Is it going to look wrong? But I think the answer is it's it's not. And have you had any junior engineers reach out looking for like a a mentor? Uh, Well, I think through other channels, I definitely did, right? So from friends or from my colleagues, um, introductions, they might say, hey, I have a friend that they want to get a piece of yours. And then can you connect? Yes. Well, what I was saying is just like through LinkedIn messages, yeah, yeah, right? So I mean. yeah, yeah, connect. I did have a few connections that from <clears throat> from other engineers, but it didn't kind of foster into a conversation or so. Uh, I think they're probably more interested in how you progress your career than getting a, a solid advice. But as you said, I think leaders does appreciate giving back to community just because this builds our influence as well, right? This is a mutual beneficial thing. Yeah, yeah, and I think the more they realise that, the easier it will become. Okay, now getting into the real sort of juicy part of the show in terms of the leadership piece. So what was the hardest thing for you about stepping into a leadership role? I think the hardest thing for me back when I took my first leadership role was probably, you know, the uncertainty of what future lays for me. So... Because I'm a confident person, you know, I'm also sometimes risky. So I, most of the time, I'm willing to take the risk and take the leadership. But at the time, for me, the hardest thing would be if the product can succeed. Sometimes I'm over-responsible for something. I just fear to fail. So I think that's, that's the hardest thing for me. But I think other than me, I feel when I hear stories from other leaders, like when they took their first role, is often the lack of confidence and self-doubting. 
So when you first take the leadership role, you might not be the best of your team. And then you might often come into a, a kind of imposter syndrome and being questioned or being challenged by some senior members or very opinionated members, you would feel defeated sometimes. But over time, I think leadership is not only about leading. It's also about supporting, empowering. You know, if you can empower a better individual to do your job or the team job better, the most significant thing is result and, you know, our customer, our company. Um, so I think it's just over time you realize these. And then for me, I realize failure is allowed. It's okay. You can learn from failure. You will make wrong choices. You will make wrong calls. You kind of act wrong. And next time you know, oh, I do a retrospect on myself. I know these things. I wouldn't do it again, right? So I think there was another question. That's what would you change if you go back time? Don't don't skip ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt the the, the natural connection there. <laughs> no, hundred percent, and that that's so interesting, isn't it? But you're gonna have that bit of self doubt. It's called coming out of your comfort zone when you're going into that leadership role, yeah. that nerves and the butterflies that you feel, that's when you're making progress. Yes. I think if you're constantly comfortable, you're not developing, you're not changing, you're going to have that sort of self-doubt as such. But I think mindset is key. And I think maybe knowing your environment that you're going to lead, because you need to have the right support above and below as well, because that can potentially set you up for success or, or failure. Now, in terms of advice, because, you know, we'll have plenty of engineers listening at the moment that are looking to step up into that engineering role. What's the most important piece of advice that you would give to someone sort of that was at your level? Obviously, the experience that you've got now and what what sort of advice would you, would you give? I think be fearless and empathetic. I think being a leader, you need to be fearless to challenge for good cause you need to challenge your boss, you need to challenge the environment, you need to challenge the culture, you need to challenge for the good cause, and then you need to be strong of challenging it because you're the leader. And then be empathetic to people around you, not really just your reports, I think your peers, your boss as well, because over the year I learned they're just like so many perspectives you wouldn't imagine, especially like for me, I do my most of my management works during remote period. And I don't really have face-to-face connection. I'll go to the office. I can chat with them more. I can observe their behaviors more. You know, I, I have to talk to them a little bit more to know their surroundings, to so know their situations, to get the perspectives. So fearless and empathetic. Yeah, nice. Okay. Now, I've spoken to a few different engineers and moving away from the tech seems to be a, a big role blocker. Now, I know that can mean many, many things, but in terms of going from coding to sort of not coding, what can they expect and how does your role sort of change? Right. I think any leader that transitioning from an engineer to leadership will kind of experience this period of time of where they have to be hands-off because they can't be hands-on and hands-off at the same time. You know, they will have remit of managing people, managing projects. At the same time, they need to probably solve the most difficult problems. And then that's a great period to go through because once you're going through that, you learn the power of being hands-off because that's 
have empowering other people and give them an opportunity to learn. Like there was one time I think I took a leave, and then coming back to see everything is still working as normal, and then some problem I anticipate would be problematic is fixed, and I was surprised. And then I also found oh, you know, I don't have to be always hands on. But on another aspect, not being hands on is okay, but don't stay far away from what your engineers are doing. So by that I mean. You know, you can still on a high level know what they are doing. You don't have to go into code about you know, change conditions, why the condition is like that. But you would rather coming from a higher architectural or system level to know how things works because you need that for your stakeholders. You need that to to give a wider context to prioritize stuff. Um, so don't stay away from hands on, but don't stuck at hands on. I think, mm. and maybe. The transition that makes more sense is seventy percent hands on, thirty percent hands off, just to get a feel for it. I think if you go straight in from completely hands on to a complete sort of different leadership role, yeah. that is going to be a massive shock. Yeah. So maybe even starting and doing that sort of split might ease you in. Correct. Also, I think it depends on your environment. So, are you going to be leading a bigger team? Which you have the correct capacity to get all the workload done, or are you going to be leading a small team where your hands-on work is definitely required? I think that that is not something. Seventy percent or thirty percent is depending on what's the environment, right? So if this environment supporting you to be a little more hands-off, then you can you can try to do that. But definitely, I think slowly transitioning to hands-off is a correct way to do. Yeah. So, if you had your time again, what would you do differently? Now, most of the leaders, when they ask this question, the answer I always get is nothing. I wouldn't change it for the world. You've <laughs> got to give me something. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things for me. <laughs> what, what's the What's the most The, the most, most thing is I'll, I'll be calmer and probably I'll soften myself quite a bit because I do still remember a few occasions where I handle like you know kind of. Uh, project conflicts, not as good as I could have been doing it, just because I'm at the age of kind of a young, energetic leader. I was very protective. I was very strong. I don't want to back down. So I hit toe to toes with other teams. And now I think back, I didn't really use the power of being vulnerable. You know, things doesn't have to come to a, a way where you know you have a heated conversation. And I have to have your、um, superiors to come in to step in to prioritize for you. I think that's a little bit immature on me. So if I'm going back, I'm definitely gonna be calmer and mature and softer, <laughs> and so that you know I can basically influence instead of control. I guess. Yeah. Nice. That's a really good point. So maybe talk to us a bit about what you're up to now, then, Chris. Yeah, so right now I'm building instant gaming as you introduced.、Uh, what Playcos Forte is so instant gaming is basically games running on the browser, and what we do is we often partner with platforms like say Facebook or Line, where you can chat with your friends. Say if you and I are chatting on iMessage, say if that's a platform, you can jump in a game directly with one of my gift, and that gift my contains a URL. You can start. Playing in the either in-app browser or like an external browser, and then you can start playing with it and interact with me in the game. Like it can be 
a Kamakochi game or it can be like, you know, a thieving uh, themed game where I steal your thing and then you damage my my furniture, all that, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I think the power of that is you don't really need to download something or to get a rig so that game can play, right? Yeah. It's all on browser. And I'm currently working with very closely with my founders and my engineering team and product team together to, you know, basically make the best instant games we can. Yeah, nice. So check that out. Play Cole. Yeah, it looks pretty interesting. I've had, I've had a bit of a look. I'm just not very good at gaming, so I'm not, not going to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I've, um, I've grown up with a brother who loves gaming and I've always, um, yeah, he's always won, so it's a bit of taste in my mouth, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, what's next for Chris? Yeah, I think I'll continue enjoying the current situation I'm in, which I'm being more hands-on than before, which enables me to dive deeper into products and problems with engineers. I'm also been working very close to the founders and product people, so I know the life cycle of a product. I know the in and outs and you know how critical something or little decision can made can impact the whole business and even revenue. This kind of gave me an elevated scope of vision, how to connect engineering to the success of product or even company. So I've been enjoying doing that. Uh, I think next is if I can make a game that's successful, you know, I'll be happy about it. Well, brilliant. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having um, me. You, you're probably going to get a lot of messages now. <laughs> you're probably going to get 100 in a few weeks in terms of Engineers looking for a mentor, so good luck with that. That's that's fine. <laughs> I'll do my best. Probably you'll start writing a post. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and yeah, that was really interesting chats. So thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Decoding Careers with Sam Yates. This podcast is proudly brought to you with the support of recruitment agency Discovered People. To find out more go to discoveredpeople.com.au.